Hey everybody, this is Dave Tish. Just a quick note before we get started. This week we're going to be looking at the story found in Genesis 18 and 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah. This story, the biblical record, has some pretty adult themes, shall we say. And so we're going to be talking about those. So if you've got little ones in the car, maybe uh, uh, maybe skip this one or listen to it with headphones on. Okay, we're going to get into it right now. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. If you don't know what The Afterword is, it's our weekly show where we talk about what we didn't really get to talk about in the weekend message. And this week, oh boy, is it a doozy. We're going to play a fun little game I like to call Yay or Nay. It's a brand new game I made up. It's kind of like uh, Law & Order. You Remember that show, Law & Order? Ran for like 20 years. The basic premise is that the police pick up clues and evidence. They hand it over to the... Uh, prosecuting attorneys who then litigate their case in front of a jury, and there it is. So I'm going to do that over the question of what is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that was so bad that made God want to destroy it utterly and completely? What was going on? I mean, were they, I don't know, Dodgers fans? What was going on in there? And what clues does the Bible offer us? So I'm going to get into that in this week's episode. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to present my case to both Jay Kim and Sarah Lee. They're going to offer their thoughts and reflections. And then you guys can chime in too to see if I've convinced you. I'm going to present the best case I can. That's coming up right now on The Afterword. Welcome to the afterward. Hey, Jay. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see you. I know you're going to start off by saying something braggadocious like, hey, um, the Warriors are 4 0. I just know it. They're 4 0. Okay. So, speaking of NBA basketball, I had an idea. Okay. Here's my idea. Okay. A couple of days ago, you and I and Bobby Williams, who's on staff with, with us, we were chatting up the NBA. 75th anniversary team where the NBA chose 75 of the best players in the history of the NBA to be on a special select team that represents the cream of the crop, the very best of the best over the past 75 years. And uh, during that time, you and I and Bobby had some, shall we say, disagreements. (laughs) And uh, at one point, uh, I, I kind of litigated that Bob Cousy uh, a guard from the 50s that was on the Celtics that won quite a few titles should be included. And you said <laughs> that, uh, that that's not true. Is that, is that is that still your position? That's still my position. Man, you're putting me on, on blast. All of the seven Bob Cousy fans who listen to this podcast <laughs> are so upset with me. Well, and, and, but the thing was, as you dug into it, you made your case and you say, hey, listen, this guy pretty much invented the behind the back dribble. <laughs> Something that <laughs> every kid on the schoolyard can do that's what the innovation he brought to the game not really sh- i mean Kyrie Irving uh is is a, a thousand times better than he'll, he'll ever be in fact Bradley Beal's probably a better dribbler than he is now the Justin point is Fish is a better dribbler <laughs> hopefully so anyway so um i thought that it would be fun uh to do a little segment i'm going to call uh yay or nay i'm going to present uh okay. something uh, to you, uh, uh, the best case I can. It's kind of like Law and Order. Did you ever watch that when you were growing up? I love Law and Order when I was. Yeah, a kid. I watched a couple of shows. Dun dun. Yeah. 
So I'm going to present to you my best case. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background and then you're going to get to weigh in yay or nay. Uh, but okay. first I got to, pre- I, I, first I got to present my case. Okay. Okay. So here's the background. The background is, um, the, it's the question, what exactly was the sin that Sodom and Gomorrah committed that caused God to wipe them out? Like what was going on? Okay. Because there's not a ton of detail in the text. And so okay. because of that, it's like, well, what was going on exactly? So I'm going to present to you what I think is the best, um, I guess the best evidence that I have found. And I'm going to do use evidence from three different things. The actual okay. story, the actual story, yeah. Uh, the, the Bible itself, uh, other times when Sodom and Gomorrah is referenced, and then a little bit of uh, biblical commentary and history of Christians through the ages, okay? Okay, so here's here's where uh, it's kind of interesting is when I was growing up, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that was told to me was that it was homosexual attraction in sex. Hmm. Okay, because there's this moment in the in the narrative where the the men of the city of Sodom actually call out to lots of visitors who are angels. They're investigating from God. They say, hey, bring out the men so that we can have sex with them. And so as a result, and then right after that, of course, God rains down fire and sulfur and destroys the entire city. Therefore, it's the sexual immorality and perversion that was the core sin of Sodom. In fact, that's what I was told growing up. I'm going to make the case that that's actually not entirely what's going on here, uh, that there's something else going on, and uh, that although Christian sexual ethics has a long history of verses that that's not what's going on. We can look to Genesis one and two for Christian sexual ethics or Jesus's teachings. We don't need to look to this story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my case to you. Yeah or nay. So here's my case. My case is that God destroys Sodom, not for homosexual attraction or relationships, but for a dramatic wickedness that was shown through their um, abuse of the poor their abuse of strangers and their wickedness and their unwillingness to follow Siddiquan Mishpat. So it's not about homosexual sexual relations. It's actually about something much deeper and darker. It's about a wickedness. It's, it's a turning away from, from God and Siddiquan Mishpat in the way of the Lord as evidenced by the fact that they abuse the poor, they abuse strangers and they were unconcerned with, with God. So, hmm. so Here's my evidence. So first of all, we're going to start with the story. I'm sorry, start with the story. Then I'm going to go to what the Bible, there's some references to Sodom and Gomorrah. I counted about 30, I think about 30. And then I'm going to do extra biblical. So first, so first of all, there's the actual story in Genesis 18 and 19. And what happens Mm -hmm. is Lot has these, these men, they're angels. And then what happens is the city, the men in the city surround his home. And they say, uh, they call this is in uh, Genesis 19 or 19, chapter five. They called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Mm-hmm. Now, I would submit to you, this has nothing to do with homosexual desire, that it's actually, this is actually sexual violence. This is violence in the form of sexuality. It's a group, it's a mob, and they're looking to rape these strangers. And then, Right after that, Lot actually offers his daughters, which is incredible and awful and horrific. And that's, I think, about sexual, uh, that's about sexual abuse and sexual violence, too. That should shock us. 
and show the, the depth of depravity that is in Lot and in the city. Then God brings judgment. And then I'm going to go to the other times in the biblical story when Sodom is referenced. There's a moment in Ezekiel where the people of Jerusalem are actually under siege from Babylon. And God sends Ezekiel the prophet to say, hey, Jerusalem, you're just as bad as Sodom, which is incredible. This is mind-blowing. And in Ezekiel 16, God says through the prophet Ezekiel, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things. So God lists a couple of things. Arrogant and haughty are the prideful. That's the, you know, discarding God. Overfed, unconcerned, didn't help the poor and needy. That's the, hmm. that's the, that's the indictment that God through Ezekiel gives. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says to the people, he's again prophesying against Jerusalem and Ju Judah, uh, the look on their faces testify against them. They, Jerusalem and Judah, parade their sin like Sodom. They don't even hide it. Woe to them, they brought disaster on themselves. So there's this sense of this pride and this haughtiness that they, they don't even try to attempt to hide their sin. And then mm -hmm. in Second Peter, Peter juxtaposes the flood of Noah to Sodom. Okay, that one's a flood of destruction with water. The other is a flood from heaven of fire and brimstone. And, and Peter says, uh, God condemned the city. If, if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So he, he puts this, and then he uses the term ungodly again, that this is judgment. This is God setting right something that's wrong. And then we have kind of overall this, this kind of general sense for the 32 examples in the rest of the Bible where Sodom is used. It's used as an example of wickedness, of waywardness away from the way of the Lord, which we've already talked about is practicing justice and righteousness, doing what's right and doing what's just, Siddiquan Mishpat, and that is what is their sin. And because they have turned from God, because they have not sought God, they're like Babel, they're like the people in the flood. And so this is a continuing motif in the literature. There are three examples in, in Genesis of, of ongoing examples of humans who have built societies or are living in a city in a way, in a community, in a way where God is excised. And as a result, the way of the Lord is not practiced. Justice and righteousness are not done. And all this wickedness comes out. And the violence against the angels is the proof that they are corrupted. It deepened their hearts. The, and the, the abuse of the poor and needy shows that they are self-serving and they've, they've, they've curved inward and they want to keep themselves. And then a little bit of extra biblical stuff, commentators in ancient Jewish, Jewish texts like the Babylonian Talmud and the Genesis Rabbah, they, the, there's all this literature that says that the inhabitants of Sodom were infamous for their cruelty and their failure to support the poor and the needy in their midst and their failure to practice charity, hospitality, and justice. And that's that, that extra biblical layer, which has been around for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, says that this is actually the sin of Sodom. All that taken together says to me that although homosexuality or the sexual perversion or sexual immorality might have been a part or parcel of what was going on here in the story, that the biggest issue is actually this failure to follow the way of God, their cruelty, their failure to support the poor, their needy. And they're, they're, the way that they're curved away from God and the way that they have left and abandoned God in the way of Yahweh.
that's my case. Yay or nay, what's your thoughts? Wow. This is a hard game. It is a hard game. <laughs> this is not an easy game, man. I mean, I, I guess I would say yay. I agree in that these sins don't exist in a bubble. Right. Uh, like you said, symptoms of wickedness don't exist in a bubble. You know, they are all interconnected. So this is not to, to minimize the specific uh, atrocities that were happening in Sodom in the story. It's atrocious. I mean, not just, you know, there's a lot we could say about human sexuality and God's design and sort of at Westgate, our belief that, you know, sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage and that we believe biblical marriage is between one man, one woman and a monogamous lifelong commitment, covenantal commitment to each other. And then there's a lot more to say about that, you know, that um, it doesn't mean we're, we're like, you know, we hate gay people or something. There's plenty of gay people in our church community that we love and are, are thriving part of our church. Uh, so that is a small slice, like you said. I think it grabs our attention because it's, I don't know, for a variety of reasons. You know, it's, it is attention grabbing. It's sort of, it's graphic. It's really jarring. But I agree with you in that it is a symptom of, something much larger, something far, far deeper. And like you said, uh, the, the way the Bible itself comments on the Sodom and Gomorrah story seems to make clear that the biblical authors, when they thought about God's justice being levied on Sodom and Gomorrah, they reckoned that justice as the result of something more than one thing, you know, one sort of symptom. Oh, the, these evil men in Sodom went to Lot's house and demanded that his guests come out so that they could have their sexual way with them. That's what happens in the story. But the biblical author seems to point, seem to point to the fact that that is a symptom, like you said, of pervasive wickedness, you know, that expressed itself in a number of ways. And those things are all connected, you right? Know, they're all connected, which I think our own lives would uh, be at bear evidence to that you know, that um, because I'm a sinner, because I'm a fallen, broken person, uh, the ex expressions of that fallenness, expressions of that wickedness within me, you know, look like a wide variety of things, you know, and all of those things are interconnected. I, uh, you know, I sin in a variety of ways because of one big thing, which is that I'm fallen, you know, and I'm a broken right. person. Uh, so in that way, yeah, my answer is, yay, I agree. I think the sin of Sodom is more than one thing. Uh, it is one thing, but that one thing then expresses itself in a number of really destructive ways, as is true in our own lives. Yeah. Next question. What lesson do you think we as Barry inhabitants ought take from Sodom and Gomorrah? Hmm. modern folk when yeah. you think about this story man that's a great question and that is the question you know that is the question um there's that there's that section uh 
in Genesis 19, as all of this stuff is happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously the angels have come to the city to, to, you know, enact judgment, God's judgment on the city, but also to rescue Lot and his family. And there's that line, you know, uh, Genesis 19, 14, um, uh, I think it's Genesis 19. Oh, no, no, Genesis 19, 12. The two men, these angels, they said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law or sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord, outcry to the Lord uh, against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And then Lot goes out and he finds his family and he says, hurry and get out of this place. Um because the Lord's going to destroy the city. This like feels overly simplistic, but I think that's a part of it. You know, um, very early in the in the biblical story, when you know the two brothers Cain and Abel, they have this tension, and Cain murders his brother Abel. You know, before that happens, I think God says to Cain, knowing that Cain is feeling this animosity and anger toward his brother, He tells him, "Hey." be careful like sin is crouching at your door you know it's a it's a sort of loving warning that you got to live aware and uh, it also makes me think like the story of joseph and potiphar's wife and this woman is seducing him he knows it's wrong she's a married woman she's not his wife but she wants to sleep with him and eventually what he does is he runs you he know? flees he right he, he runs flees. from the room yep. and she grabs his cloak and unjustly accuses him and um and you see a similar thing here you know there's this sort of awareness from these angels to lot hey get out of here yeah. <laughs> you know he says get out of here this is a dangerous place for you and i you know if there's anything to say not just for us here in the silicon valley but uh and just any follower of jesus that's the thing i think is like i hear you saying live. we should all move away from the sin that's what <laughs> i hear you saying we should just pack yeah. up and move to a, yeah. a city that is less um that has no sin a, a, a city that has zero sin is that what you're saying right find that place and go there yeah no i mean but i think that's a good point is like it's living with an awareness that everywhere you go on the planet and then in a unique way here in a place like Silicon Valley, it's important for us, I think, to recognize the sin that is crouching at the door because sin often disguises itself as something good. It's all, it almost always disguises itself as something pleasurable, yeah. Yeah. something desirable. You see it earlier in the Genesis story. God says, don't eat this fruit from this tree. And then they see the fruit and the story tells us they saw that it was like good for eating. You know, they desired it, they saw it, and then they took it. And I think that's, that's, in some ways, that's maybe the primary lesson. Yeah, we see it, maybe we even desire it, but rather than taking it, we got to go, <laughs> you know? We got to flee. Yeah, flee, whatever that looks like in any particular situation. Final question. Um, when you think about human society rejecting God, human society, doing a Babel, doing a Noah flood, doing a, a Cain, you know, <laughs> those things, when we, when we reject God, does that mean that it will automatically devolve away from justice and righteousness? Or do you think that the impartation of the Imago Dei and the human conscience on people 
allows them to access and do some good and some justice. It's just incomplete. Like where, because in our, in our Bay area, we say the, 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 the message, the idea is that we can build utopia. We can do it right. We can get it right. Obviously we can't, but where on that spectrum is it from depravity? It's just going to descend into wickedness to no, actually there's quite a bit of good because of common grace and the conscience of God imparted into man. Where do you fall on that spectrum or how do you make sense of that? Or is it even a spectrum? It, maybe I'm thinking of it wrong. That's a great question. This isn't like canon or anything. It's just my best sort of understanding. I think that anywhere where there is genuine justice, God is there in that place. Mm. I, I don't think that there is genuine justice or a wide variety of other things, goodness, love, compassion, kindness, grace, mercy, peace. I just don't think those things happen detached from the giver of those gifts. So that is not to say everybody, everybody in that particular situation or circumstance recognizes or lives fully aware of the fact that God is in their midst. But, you know, it reminds me of the words of Jacob. He's like, oh, God was here and I was not aware of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. in some ways, there's a sort of missional evangelistic, if you will, opportunity in serving for the common good, working toward the common good as a follower of Jesus alongside those who don't know Jesus in such a way that your participation in, in bringing about good or justice in the world um, declares and proclaims to an unknowing world that this is because we have a God who is good, who is right. just. You know, so what I don't mean is that a person participating in bringing about justice in the world, that that act is salvific in and of itself. So, right. you know, I, oh, I know, they don't care about Jesus, but, you know, they're doing good work. So they must be saved or go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. It, what I am saying is that in those places and in those moments, God is there, even if people are unaware you know, where there maybe part of our job is to connect the dots. This impulse yes. for justice that you feel is actually from God himself. It's in his very character. It's baked in the way that the world should be and how broken it is that you see it. That's actually God at work. Let me connect the dots, show you the story and invite yeah. you into that. And there's also brokenness, not just in the world out there, but also, as you know, inside. And so God's trying to heal and, and mend and write all those, all that brokenness. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's that's good. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for playing my game. Uh, you got to help me come up with a better name for it. It was a different. It's a difficult game. <laughs> it's not easy. Was, that was not an that was not an easy question. So. Okay, was it a fun game? <laughs> I don't know if fun is the word I would use. <laughs> All right, I'll work on a more fun game, and I'll come back to you next week. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. All right, thanks. Well, right after I talked to Jay, I then turned to my friend Sarah Lee, who is the co-host and my partner in crime for our semi-regular segments, Bible Nerd Out Time. I presented my case to Sarah and then asked her her thoughts. And so let's jump into the conversation after I presented my case to her and see what Sarah had to say. Again, yay or nay for Tishman? That's the question. 
My question to you is, do, do you buy it, yay or nay? And what are your qualifications? Yeah, well made. Um, I do buy it. I'll say yay. I would just add, it's a little bit of a both and for me that the, the homosexual desire, the piece of it is part of the story, but it's not the main part as I've you know, read, reflected and read and then and listening to the case that you just made as well. It definitely is like that great wickedness that, and it's the deeper heart that was evil. It's what was behind the behavior is what was happening in Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah. Jude, Jude 1.7 says, in the similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion and or in some texts it says they went after strange flesh so obviously it's part of the story um yeah. I'm not and trying to say it's not yeah no and interesting the word sodomy wasn't coined until the 11th century and even then it, it referred to all non-procreative sexual acts including heterosexual acts so there is some maybe modern reading oh. of that of that word and what was happening so you think it's more of a, a both and um, like, and you kind of mentioned that there was like a, a would you say that the, the, the sexual violence or sexual um, homosexual um, actions were actually kind of symptoms? Is that, is that kind of how you put it? Yeah, I got this idea from AJ Swoboda and he talked about the difference between a big S sin and a little S sin. And he had this great example of a friend's kid who's like nine-year-old boy and all of a sudden pretty suddenly was having really bad bo and started growing facial hair and so they knew so like a nine a nine-year-old was like suddenly growing facial hair yeah so they knew oh, something's okay. wrong yeah these are symptoms something's wrong and it, indeed after a bunch of testing they found out he had a cancerous tumor on his pituitary so that was he. So Swoboda talks about the difference between the disease and the symptoms and that the disease, the cancer was the big S sin. That's what the real problem was. The cap, but, the cap, the capital S sin, yes. right? The, the big, right. It, and the, it was a cancerous tumor in his pituitary gland that was causing these weird, like crazy body odor and facial hair. And yeah. is that, that's what was going on. Right. So the little S sin and that, I mean, in this analogy is the symptoms are like the smaller piece. And so Voda connects it to Jesus's message really had to do with the heart so much more than behavior modification that the gospel, he deals so much about our real problem, which is our heart. And that it's not about rule keeping, rule breaking. Like that's not the heart of the issue. It's how right. our, our obedience, our allegiance, our um, walk with God. Right. So in this sense, what I guess I, I would agree with that, because it looks to me like Sodom had some symptoms and some of the symptoms were abuse of the poor. Uh, that's a big one. Another was was this sexual um, violence against these 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 angels, these foreigners. Another was the violation of hospitality. Mm -hmm. um, those were symptoms of the heart, which was not toward the way of the Lord not to be a faithful selim, not to walk in community with God. And, right. and so you're saying that those are the capital S sins or the big sins. 
and that the little sins are like, um, of course they're sins, but they're actually, they're flowing from the root. Exactly. Right. Okay. That that's, that's, I I guess that would be true for, isn't that true for almost all of us? (laughs) I think so. If you think about it, like if you go to somebody and say, Hey, you need to stop your excessive drinking. The excessive drinking is just the symptom of something else that's going on inside, right? Like they're right. numbing so out or they're- You should stop, but- Well, right. Of course, drinking too much is, is bad. You can get in a car accident. You're hurting your productivity. Um, you could you could actually, um, you're now enslaved to alcohol. There's all sorts of bad things, but the heart issue is the big thing. Like, why are you drinking so much? Are you numbing out? Are you running from something? Is there pain that you're not dealing with? Um, you know, those, those kinds of, and until you deal with those things, um, then it's, it's not really going to deal with the, the big, the, the big issue. Right. So you say it's actually kind of a both and, but we need to understand sin a little bit better. Right. And we need to understand God's judgment better and how it's actually like, not just a good, but like a very, very good, the best thing. Okay, because the Sodom and Gomorrah is a story about God's judgment. Yes. And, and so when I hear judgment, I think fire and sulfur raining down in God's utter destruction upon people. They have been, it's a little bit like you have been found, you have been measured and found wanting, right? That, that kind of famous line in the book of Daniel. You're saying that's not how I should think about it. And that that concept of judgment or judgmental, even the word judgmental is the worst word you can use now. Right. You know, I, and I just found this out this week, reading about Sodom and Gomorrah and judge, judgment, is that the word judgmental is relatively new. It didn't even come into the English language until the 20th century. So before what? that, yeah, judging was always considered a positive thing. It, it just meant discernment, that you were able to judge, use wisdom, exercise wisdom. You could judge, is this fruit good or moldy? You know, is it good or right, bad? Right. Um, it wasn't negative at all. Huh. And so, so I think what's happened yeah. is that judgmental, really, I think the word that is being, that we should be using, that people mean, the definition is, is condemning or condemnation. Uh, you're condemning me with your words. Right. You, so that's, you have judged me and found me to be not worthy um, of love or acceptance or whatever. You've condemned right. me. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. There's but, some so, language going on there that okay, <laughs> so makes how it confusing. Should, yes. So how should we view judge? Because the Bible uses the term judge and judgment all the time. Yeah. And so here's another interesting thing is our words, Sedekon, Mishpat, righteousness and justice. Actually, that word Mishpat traditionally or for for hundreds of years in the King James version, it's translated as judgment. The justice and judgment are really the same thing. And this is the noun verb. And when we look at the word group in that mishpat word group, shafat is the verb. And that's the word judge or to like to judge, to govern. So these words are related. And if we see that God is the good judge and he judges rightly with justice like it's a good thing that we should desire we should want that his justice to come so there's a sense in which the word judge means that the good judge will come and then um in the words of like anti-right set things right 
or right. rect or it, I would the word that comes to my mind is rectify. Yeah. Like set things right, set things because the word the word group in the Hebrew is that sedek, which is like to set things straight, mm-hmm. that they're back the way they should be, like a bone that's been set, it's been healed. So you're saying the word judge means a good judge comes and then makes things right and rectifies all that has been done wrong. That's actually a really, really good thing, unless you're the person doing the bad stuff. Right. And I know, and we already just said, but we are all a mixture doing the, the good and the bad stuff. Oh, so, right. But that's where like, okay, so Fleming Rutledge has a really helpful phrase. She says that both the Old and New Testaments say that God will save us from the judgment, but he will not save us without judgment. And so I guess to unpack that, like, because who he is, he can't allow evil to exist. So he has to do something about it. And that evil is in our human hearts. And so he will judge, but he, like he, Jesus incarnated, took that judgment upon himself in our place. Mm. And so we could be cleansed and healed. So God's judgment on us means that he takes away our, our evil hearts or our evil, uh, the, the, the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, that he puts a new spirit in us, that he heals and mends the brokenness even within us, not just in human systems. Right. Man, that's, a, it, that's so that is very, very good news. And it, it, it seems to be a, it seems to be a process, an ongoing sanctification that is not even complete when we die. And therefore there needs to be a final purification where we go through that refiner's fire and we emerge as that completely new people remade. Right. Sure. Sure. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple times in scripture where the word refiner's fire or purification is, is a, a metaphor that's used for this, um, and, and that, that makes a lot of, and of course, nobody's perfect when they die. And it takes, it takes until after we, 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 the final purification, right? So that's where we should, I look forward to that final purification where all the evil is finally rid of my heart. Like that yeah. it's gone forever for good. That's fantastic. Okay. So what lesson is the most important thing to take away from the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. I was thinking about how Sodom, like you had said, it reflected the story of the flood where that entire civilization, every thought of their heart was evil all the time oh. and how there was no good. Like it, and so God being good, he has to judge that. But how now, like when we look at things that are just so evil, like I don't think anyone would disagree that the the Nazis needed to be taken down, like they, that needed to be stopped. And so in then bringing it to today, like every time that we can do justice and righteousness and good works and good deeds and good words, we can resist that evil and we can do a small piece of um, putting that to death, right? Just yeah. killing, the, you know, just standing up against the evil and standing. I love that. Re- resist evil. It's like the resistance. I like that. It's like an undergrad rebel movement. I love I love that both in the micro and the macro. I love that. Yeah, that's, um, that was Rutledge. She says our two things that we're called to do as Christians is to resist evil and to patiently endure. 
And it's subversive though, like our weapons, if you read the Ephesians 6, the armor of God, it's not um, violent, it's God's word and his righteousness, his truth, love. Yeah. Like those are, are the armor and the weapons that we use to do this. It's good works and, do, and words. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Well, Sarah, um, I, I feel like I sort of won uh, you over a little bit on this one. So I feel, I feel pretty good about that. I don't know what our next one's going to be. So we, uh, we gotta, we gotta come up with our next one, but uh, thanks for, thanks for playing our fun game. Keep me on my toes. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. All right, everybody, that's it for this week's show. Thanks again to Jay Kim and Sarah Lee for stopping by and playing our fun game. Just so you know, this topic of justice uh, has just been so, um, has generated so much interest that we're actually thinking about putting out a supplemental podcast in the middle of the week. So just stay tuned and look for that. Uh, there's a couple other interviews I did that I'm trying to stitch together to get out to you guys. So stay tuned for that. And if nothing else, we'll see you next week. We'll be delving into the incredibly difficult story of Abraham and Isaac. <sighs> that one's heavy. Uh, but it's also really beautiful. So we'll delve into that. So we'll see you next week.